0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Well, good morning. Yeah, that's good. You're awake. Um... It's a great privilege and honor to be with here with you, brothers and sisters, and and uh, I, you know, I I have the the opportunity to really share, uh, really what a vision of soul care in the local church looks like, and so hopefully by the end of this message, you'll have a better understanding of what this soul care thing is but then really more importantly what God's word has to say to the church, to Christ's followers, um, in the area of mutual ministry. So if you have your Bible, open to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to break down verses 1 and 2. Your pastor's given me 30 minutes to get this message done. I, I have what's Called the tendency to be long winded. And so I'm, I'm going to do my best to narrow that down to 30 minutes. And, and I think I can do it. Um, but but I, there's some key things that I want us to focus on. But before we get into God's word, let me pray over us and ask the Spirit to work in our hearts. Father God, we come to you now. And, and uh, what a great privilege it is to, in the new mercies that you've extended to us this morning, that we've done nothing to deserve. In those mercies you've extended to gather together as the redeemed, those who've been saved from the pit of death because of our own sin through the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to gather together and to worship your name and to know that you hear us to know that you dwell with us even now as the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and you've received our praise. We've been able to celebrate new life through the testimony of grace in the baptismal waters, and now we get to hear your word proclaimed. So use your word through the power of your spirit to do what only your word can do, to change our hearts, to conform us more into the image of your Son. And so we're humbled, Father, to gather together, and we realize this is no small thing, what you have afforded us. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way. I pray you would lift up our hearts to you, that you would draw our affections and our worship to you and to you alone, and that you would continue to make this church a vessel of grace, a beacon of hope, salt and light in this community for your namesake and for the redemption of the lost and the hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Uh, Let me just give you a teeny bit of background because I think it'll help you kind of understand why I do what I do and why I I really want to give just the rest of the days, whatever, however many more days the Lord would grant me the rest of my days to this type of ministry. Um, I've been pastoring since 2005. Um, I grew up in southeast New Mexico, which is the far end of the Bible Belt, believe it or not. Um, It it feels a lot like here, churches on every corner um, out there that it does here, but it's the far end of the Bible Belt. Grew up Southern Baptist, felt called into pastoral ministry at a young age, which isn't super appealing as an eight-year-old. But as I began to grow in my faith with Christ, I just felt that call and began to pursue that call. So as I got in, like what good little Baptist boys do where I'm from, and I'm I'm assuming it's the same here, is you go to Bible College and then you go to Southwestern in Fort Worth. the trajectory for your life it's already kind of established for you and so that's what i thought i was going to do but by the time i got into bible college i was becoming increasingly frustrated with the local church and and frustration as an 18 year old is a bit dangerous because it's borderline jaded right and so i I began to see all my friends that i grew up in church with start to fall away from the church and i was going to do this the rest of my life and they're falling away do i really want to do this and and Quite frankly, I could agree with reasons why they were falling away because they didn't feel like they could live up to the moral stigma that was put on them in the church. In other words, coming to church was about cleaning yourself up before you walked in, but in no way being transparent with the brothers and the sisters about what you were really struggling with. Airbrush yourself before you walk in was the attitude and the air that they felt and no doubt had some of their own sin involved but decided to leave and forsake the church altogether. To this day, none of those friends follow Christ now. And here I am like wanting to be a pastor? I mean, there was, just, there was just this turmoil in my soul, and so God began to reveal to me the opportunities around church planting. Church planting was not trendy back then. It wasn't talked about, and so I began to pursue some of those avenues on my own, not knowing much about it. The only thing I really knew about church planters is that they didn't make any money. So I thought, you know what? I better figure out how to do something, and so that's when God began to open doors for counseling. And so I didn't know anything about counseling. I didn't know that there was this whole rift in counseling between secular counseling and biblical counseling. I didn't know any of those things. I had opportunity to go to a seminary in New Orleans, started to work on my MDiv, and, had the, and then started to work on my Master's of Arts in Marriage and Family Counseling. jump through those hoops, become a pastor, plant a church. There you go. Ta-da. So I do all of those things, and then me and my wife get married in 2005. We have to leave New Orleans because of Katrina, and I land in Dallas, Texas, and um, a dear friend of mine hooked me up with a biblical counselor in the community. That biblical counselor interviewed me for a job at his counseling center. He would have known I was not a biblical counselor because I was trained as a secular therapist, and he took a huge risk on me, and he said, if you commit to being retrained, And if you commit to um, building your practice, I'll throw you some clients along the way, and then you can work here and build this ministry with us and the rest is history. I began to do biblical counseling. My eyes were open to the beauties of what I believe now, and this is what I'm going to show you from Galatians 6, what the church has kind of pillaged their right and their call to minister to one another with the power of the Spirit as we look to Jesus Christ. We have forfeited that right, and we have referred those needs into the community because I was getting them in my private practice. I was receiving those people from local churches because those local churches weren't equipped or didn't know how or didn't realize the call to minister those needs on their own. They were referring everything to me. So as I became a pastor in 2005, this growing burden in me to equip the saints for the work of the very ministry I was getting paid as a private practitioner to do, I was like, this is what I want to spend my life doing. So this is what I'm partnering with you to do. Um, that, that this church that God do, would do such a unique work through the preaching of the word, through the faithful ministry of the word with the saints that men and women who are in bed right now hurting their marriages about to rot will be drawn into the midst here and lives radically transformed and changed by the gospel because the saints are doing the ministry. That's the bride of Christ. This is a church. And Paul's going to speak to this in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Alright, pick it up in verse 1. I'll read both verses and then we'll go back on the front end. So it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So first point, um, Paul's going to give um, the church a very specific call because he says what? Brothers, who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have confessed belief in Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. He's not talking to those out in the community who are kind of kicking the tires on this Jesus thing. He's talking to those who've given their heart, their life, and their all to Jesus Christ. And this is the church. So on Sundays, when the redeemed gather together, we call this the church. But we're in a cafeteria, I think. Is this a cafeteria? So is, is this? Yeah, is this a church? No, this is the church. This is a church, and local churches are meeting all over this area to gather, to worship, to hear the word proclaimed, and really to celebrate what God has done. And here's what God's doing. The Spirit is wooing other men and women in the community into those local contexts, into the church, into this. So when he says brothers, he's talking to those in this room, those who were represented here as the body of Christ and he says to engage brokenness. Look at the phrase caught in any transgression there in verse one. You see that phrase? So go back later this week and read John chapter eight. Let me just summarize John t- chapter eight real quickly. There's a story in John chapter eight. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? You remember that story? The, this this woman, who's, she's chosen some horrific life decisions. She has made some serious mistakes. She has a reputation. She's earned it, no doubt. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, who are wicked, evil men, they use her reputation against her by luring her into some type of shady, adulterous situation. Then they yank her out of it, drag her to the feet of Jesus, and they say, The law, I'm paraphrasing, the law says to stone this woman, what do you say? And you know the famous story, Jesus bends down and he scribbles in the dirt, you remember? The phrase used in that story is the woman caught in the act of adultery. Paul is using this phrase on purpose because he's describing the type of people that should be in the church. Isn't that amazing? He's literally saying, what Paul is saying is that the church is for the broken, the downcast, the hurting. Yet, go back to the story I told you about my upbringing. And and there's so many things I'm grateful for with my upbringing. Do not hear me trashing the Southern Baptists. Please do not hear that. I'm grateful for their desire to be faithful with the authority of God's word. That this is inerrant. This was never in debate growing up. Praise the Lord for that. I'm grateful for that. But but can I also tell you that that no one was real or honest and transparent in the church culture that I grew up in? That it was nearly like you walk up to the front doors, it's Sunday morning, you kind of airbrush yourself, put the smile on your face, and then you enter in. And yet then you find out later that marriages were rotting in our midst? People were struggling with addiction in our midst? Abuse was happening in our midst? But no ability to be real, transparent, vulnerable before a holy God. Because if we're going to be honest in this room, every man and woman, if we're going to be honest, and I don't pretend we are because we're at church, right? But if we're going to be honest just for a second, you know how broken you are. You know the wounds you carry. You know the deep pits of shame that you in no way want to let out that you've worked hard to mask over, You know the struggles you have. You know the way that your marriage is circling around certain power struggles and these, in, these little inconsistencies in your life. We know these things. And what Paul is saying is, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that we should be a church where these types of struggles are confessed before brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ early and often. But if we fake it till we make it, this will not happen. So then you think of the hurting people in this community, and you, you live here. I don't. I've just heard your pastor explain and describe some of the dynamics going on in this community. If you think about the brokenness in this community, brokenness that begins to seek help, but they're met with a clean yourself up before you come in here type of gospel, which is a false gospel, by the way. So the, uh, my, a dear mentor of mine, he always said it this way, that the church should be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Now, we don't celebrate brokenness. We celebrate Jesus, who fixes the brokenness. But if we can't just all admit that there's days where are just a big old mess, can you help me with my mess, brother? Can you speak life and pray for me in my mess, sister? If we can't do that together, we're actually missing the heart of the gospel in the church, which is what Paul is charging here. He says, brothers, if anyone has got in any transgression, You who are spiritual. So now he's going to give some direction. Paul's instruction for such occasion, if and as sin and brokenness is revealed in the body of Christ, who is to do it? You see it right there. You who are spiritual. I don't have time to unpack this to the degree that I would like, but two points we take away from this. okay? You who are spiritual is referring to, if you're a Christ follower, you know the amazing thing about the baptismal waters? Buried with Christ, raised to walk in new life. That's what they told me when I was a kid when I got baptized. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in a new life, and the Spirit descends, and the Holy Spirit is now in you, and that this side of heaven, God will finish that work that he started all the way towards glorification when he takes us home, and the Spirit propels every bit of that, and as a Christ follower, the Spirit of God lives in me, so he's saying is aren't you spiritual he's not saying are you holier than thou he's saying do you have the spirit of God in you anybody any Christ followers in the room have you ever been in a situation when you didn't know what to say and out of nowhere the spirit gives you the right thing to say at the right time to minister to a person's needs that wasn't you that wasn't me That's the spirit in us. He's playing off of this Gnostic culture back then. He's saying, you who are spiritual, in other words, if the spirit of God is in you, you can minister this way. I think it's it's intimidating, is it not, to set across brokenness that you don't feel like you can in any way speak to? Well, I don't know anything about anxiety. What can I say to anxiety? You don't have to have read a book on anxiety to be filled with the spirit to minister there. And, and, and what has happened in the church, and I have seen this in my short time as a pastor, what has happened in the church is the church has seen that, I, that we, this feels over our head, this feels too much to deal with. Let's refer it out. We don't know how to minister to this. Let's refer it out. And I'm not saying that there's never a time to refer. What I am saying is to, for the church's knee-jerk reaction, flinch reaction, to refer out because they don't know how to take care of this mess it shouldn't be this way because the Spirit of God dwells in us because of the, the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Second thing about that phrase spiritual, he's also saying there's the call for the saints to continue to grow in their spiritual maturity. Okay? You who are spiritual, you have Spirit of God in you, you can be a faithful minister of grace. But keep maturing, keep growing, keep seeking. So here's what I know. like, like the, 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 Some of my best equipping stories to help other churches are from fails that I've had situations where i ran up against something made a horrible mistake and realized, ooh, don't do that ever again, do it this way. And what's beautiful about those places is when God brings you into a situation that it stretches you beyond that ability beyond your your comfortable place where you begin to break and bow a bit, that's where God rushes in and shows areas where he wants to refine and equip you further. But if if you've got your, 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 cha, your, your chain armor on and, and, and you're an answer-all, do-all, be-all, fix-all for all things, but, but you're impenetrable in that place and don't have any place to be shored up or equipped, you're actually lying to yourself because this side of heaven, we all need further equipping. So this call to be spiritual is to walk faithfully in the spirit of God, but to seek ongoing equipping. So that's the who. Here's the what. Keep reading. You who are spiritual should restore So what do we do? We restore. And so the the, the word restore here, it's the same word for for like a doctor setting a bone. You ever had a broken bone? Anybody? Anybody had a a broken bone that they had to go to the doctor to get reset? I'm just going to ask you, did that feel good? (laughs) It doesn't feel good. Like if the bone's broken all the way through, especially when he puts that or she puts that bone back together, man, it hurts like fire. But, but, but once the bones back together and it's reset and then it's casted, guess what happens? It heals. So this restoration process that the church is called to get into, the mess with other people in the community and in this local body, it can be a hurtful process. Not hurtful for the sake of hurting people, hurtful because healing at times, because of the decisions we make in rebellion, it can hurt in that restoration process. But life and healing is on the other side. Hope is on the other side. And and, and so often what you'll see is two extremes. You'll see the church that doesn't get into anyone's mess because we don't go there, or the church that gets into every mess and just bullishly tries to restore. and and So so it's like the doctor who tries to fix the broken bone, but instead of being gentle, which is what we're about to see, he just kind of jerks it and makes it worse. Like some, of the, some of the most difficult situations I've counseled over the years isn't the people that are outside the church. It's people who have been hurt from people inside the church. Because the spirit of gentleness, he says, should restore him in what? A spirit of gentleness? Restore and gentleness are meant to be together. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 14 years old, so I'll be 40 later this year. So years and years ago. And when I first got diagnosed, they didn't know a ton about the disease. So they were doing tons of tests on me because I was real sick in those early days. Um, and all those tests are super invasive. And when you're sick already and they're sticking stuff down your throat, and making you drink terrible fluids that x-ray, it's just awful. I mean, I just couldn't keep it down. So they're pouring these things down my throat so they could do an x-ray, and I just continued to throw it out. So the doctor is getting incredibly frustrated with me. So he's manhandling me. I'm a 14-year-old boy. He's just manhandling me. He's jerking me around because he's frustrated. Nobody's ever done that to anyone in this room. I, I doubt that. But, but he's just—he's frustrated. He's angry, and he's jerking me around. And 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 um, he, because I couldn't keep the fluid down, they they had a camera going down one nostril, and then they were going to put a tube down the other nostril to get the fluid in to be able to take the X-rays. Well, I don't know. It just hurts. Hurts real bad, right? Um, and he's jerking me while he's doing it to the point where I can taste blood back here. I just, it was just, it was horrific, and I'm weeping. (laughs) And I can see this figure approaching in my peripheral vision, kind of to the right, and it's another doctor. This doctor comes up, and he grabs the doctor and forcefully removes him. He grabs the back of my head, and he whispers in my ear, he says, this is gonna hurt. Take a deep breath, and it'll go right in, though. I took a deep breath, and he inserted the tube, and the test resolved itself, and we moved on. That's restoring and gentleness. A broken person comes into the church. We begin to move in and press in to restore. This is going to hurt. I love you. I'm going to press in. We're going to look to Christ together. You see it? Like walking with people, like ministering to one another in the messes of our lives. It's never promised to be easy. It's never promised to be foolproof. It's never promised to be nice and clean. If anything, it makes the church a bit more grimy and messy. But as we look to Christ in that mess and he does a restorative work as we're faithfully seeking to minister to those needs as the saints, God does supernatural things in your midst. You're going to hear more testimonies like that the more you push back darkness with this type of ministry, I promise. And not because of you and not because of me or any clever ideas or gimmicks that we have, but because this is what God blesses. The saints poured out because we've been given everything. Like, what do I bring to the table but brokenness? Nothing but brokenness. But in his love and mercy, he made a way through Christ Jesus. I give him my life. How could I not come alongside this brother or sister? Even if I don't have the answers. Just to be there to pray and to minister and to let the Spirit use me as a conduit of life into the depths of where they are. This is a call and this is what Paul is putting on the church. And then he keeps going, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is, this is in your notes. It's the gospel fuels this call. And, and your pastor, Blair, he talked about this on the front, and it's vertical. God did not create us for the horizontal, but he gave us a horizontal to enjoy as we look to him first and foremost, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that as we look to Christ, as we love God with all our heart, our mind, and our soul, we're able to see people rightly. And so these burdens that come in, this bear one another's burdens, it's really an attitude. You ever long-suffered with somebody through a long period? They were just in this season, and there wasn't really answers to what what or why they were in that season, and the call was to just come alongside them for the long run? That's long-suffering. It is not glamorous. Can I just tell you that? And it's, often, it's oftentimes thinkless. But the, it's an attitude because it's a heart posture. It's a heart posture that's so captured by Christ, it comes alongside the downcast and the broken in such a way where time frame isn't even on the table. Yeah, we're in it for the long haul. I mean, just let's pull back a second. Picture your walk with Christ. Picture the long periods where you've kind of been in a funk. We should call it a funk. Think about the patience of the Lord through those periods. He didn't throw a lightning bolt on your head, did he? He didn't thump you off the face of the earth, did he? How long-suffering and patient, the scriptures would say, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. This long-suffering, this bear one another's burdens, if it's an attitude of the body of Christ, God's going to, through the power of his spirit, draw men and women from the community. They're a hot mess. They're going to need years of help. And because the attitude of the body of Christ is so gospel-centered and so grateful vertically for the love poured out for them, it flows out from them horizontally, those people are going to come in and be loved for the long run, and they will become profound trophies of grace for the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you about a guy named um, Kenny. This guy, Kenny, I had the privilege to walk with him um, for several months. He was... um, Man, this is a guy who made a lot of bad decisions in life, and, and I'm not even going to go into the details about him because I'm imagining this is recorded, and if some of the things that were heard on the recording got back to certain people, it just wouldn't be good for Kenny. So Kenny starts coming to the church, and he, Kenny's one of those guys that when he walks in, he doesn't kind of fit the bill for anyone else in the room at all, um, and, and you see him, and like secretly as a pastor, when those type of people walk in, I'm like, yes, yeah, bring the grime in. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's, let's de-pretty this a bit, right? I like it secretly, and you just want to see how the people react, though. Kenny was one of those guys, and it was a big test for our church, huge test. And Kenny was attracted to the church, didn't really know why. He had heard the good things about the church and the community, thought he would give it a try. The truth is, Kenny was really lonely, and shame was starting to weigh him down so much, he knew he needed some hope. <laughs> he's, he's on the clock. God's saving this dude. He didn't even know it and the Spirit's drawing him in and he's drawn into the midst of the Saints and these four men begin to just go after Kenny (laughs) they go to his house they go hang out with him they would go hang out with the people that Kenny hung out with which that would have been a big task for anyone well Kenny had a horrible accident and his back was broken he was laid up for several months you know who came to visit Kenny not his boys those men for month, day after day, for three months, they came and visited Kenny at his bedside, ministered to him and loved on him. And during that period, you saw the Lord pry and open Kenny's heart. And Kenny comes back to church when he's able to walk again. And, and his, his soul is now being stirred for the faith. We're sitting with Kenny and Kenny's wrestling with some of the shame from past mistakes that he had made things that had been done to him, things that he had done to others. And if I went into it, like it, it, would, it would top any story, I can assure you. It's horrible, the things that he had participated in, benefited from, done to other people, extorted other people, hurt other people. And all of the shame that he had been able to um, suppress for years through chemical dependency He wasn't on chemicals anymore, he wasn't on on substances anymore, and all of that shame began to wash over him, and he didn't have a place to take it. (laughs) And through the gospel, Kenny began to realize, I can take my shame to the cross. And you know, Kenny was looking for a reason to never come back to our church. he would tell you. He's like, yeah, say something about my ponytail. Just do it. Say something about my tattoos. Do it, and I'm never gonna come back. And the faith of those brothers around Kenny and the willingness to come alongside him for the long run and the the work that the Spirit was already doing in Kenny's heart. So you realize God's gonna save Kenny anyway. He just wants us to be a part of that redemptive story. So when the church takes seriously the call of one another's mutual ministry as those who've been ministered to by Christ himself, the spirit through his body grabs the kinneys of the world and redeems them. And, And Kenny's testimony, oh my gosh, what a trophy of grace. Because now Kenny, who's now got the spirit of the living God living in him, is now telling all of those bad friends of his about Jesus Christ. You see how the message of the gospel moves forward and how the church is an agent in God's saving plan? When we as the church go inward and, and we we forsake the call of one another's, we quench, quench what the spirit of God is wanting to do in and through the local body. He's gonna do it somewhere. Let's open ourselves up for him to do that here as we look to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.